There are a lot of great songs about winning, um, but one of my favorite songs about winning is MC Hammer's You Can't Touch This. Uh, and I used to have in my office a penguin about yay tall and yay big. It was a fake penguin. Uh, and if you squeezed its wing, it would dance and play um, You Can't Touch This. And a few years ago, the batteries died, and even though my daughter told me I was wrong, I threw it away, and I regret it. You were right. Um, so I really wanted to share that little bit of beauty with you, and so I found some um, real images of penguins doing a little bit of a dance-off, and I put it to one of the great songs of all time. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You're welcome. Uh, I've always loved that song, um, but part of what strikes me about that song, it has a very distinct idea of what it means to win, right? It's uh, literally being untouchable, right? And, and I think actually this is how we think about winning often. Uh, we think about winning as like the hero who wins all of his battles, right? Or uh, the politician who's uh, right 100% of the time and never has to change their mind. Or the TV personality who has perfect hair and perfect makeup and perfect clothes. Uh, and that idea of being almost untouchable sometimes can filter down into our ordinary relationships, right? We begin to think that maybe when there's conflict in my marriage, um, the goal is just to, to win all out, right? So that everybody walks away knowing that Jim was right, um, or, or that in my parenting, I can begin to say, well, you know, when I have conflict with my kids, the most important thing is that they just learn to obey me. Right? Uh, and that, that idea of, of sort of untouchableness um, or being unscathed can also filter up into how we think about God. Right? We can begin to think that God is the unscathed God who um, wins everything easily um, and from a distance and, and there's nothing, uh, that's not completely wrong, right? In, in fact, we, we read earlier in Deuteronomy uh, the story of God's victory um, in the Exodus. We, we read, has any people ever heard the voice of a God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by terrifying displays of power as the Lord your God did for you in Egypt? And it's true, right? That Exodus story, we have the, the majesty and the power of God on full display. And in that story, God goes up against the greatest empire of His day and the greatest king and all the, uh, the deities they believed in, and God wins hands down. He comes out completely unscathed. 
But I think it's significant that that's not uh, the great salvation story of our faith. The great salvation story of our faith isn't Exodus, but Easter. And, and Easter has a very different perspective on how God accomplishes salvation. I, I don't know if you noticed this, but in both of the uh, Easter morning and then the week later, both of the appearances of Jesus and the room with the disciples, they make a big deal out of His wounds. Do you, you notice this? Uh, and, uh, and the first time they appear, Jesus is the one who says, hey, look at my hands and my side. And then we hear from Thomas, I won't believe unless I put my hands, uh, fingers in the mark of the nails and my hand in His side. And then Jesus shows up and says, okay, do it. And it's a little bit weird that after the resurrection, after death has been defeated, after the victory of the cross, Jesus shows up and He's still got the wounds from His crucifixion. So let's put uh, one thing to rest. I do not believe that when we uh, are raised to our eternal life, we come back with whatever killed us, right? That would be a real bummer. There'd be a lot of like heavenly headless horsemen running around and that'd just be creepy. So that's not what's going on here. No, there's something special about Jesus' wounds, uh, that, that Jesus' wounds are connected to the work of salvation, and instead of being an unscathed, untouchable God, um, He is, as all great heroes are, a, a wounded winner. So I want to think about Jesus' wounds a little bit today, why they matter for us. Uh, and, and I want to begin by saying, really simply, the wounds of Jesus are uh, the evidence of His victory, that they are the proof that death tried to kill Him, but it wouldn't stick. Uh, and, and maybe you've had a situation in your life where you were talking with somebody and you had like a scar competition. Ever done this? Where you went back and forth, well, I got this one from my uh, removal of my appendix. Well, I got this one when I fell on my skateboard or whatever else. Um, and those scars are like signs of little wins, right? There's a, a scene like that in the movie Jaws um, where Brody, the, the chief, is listening to uh, Hooper, the scientist, and Quint, the old sort of scurvy sea dog captain, um, tell stories about all of their scars. Right? And they go back and forth, and it's this great um, one-upsmanship. And then finally... Um, Brody interjects and he says, hey, Quint, what's that on your arm? And Quint says, uh, it's nothing. And, and Hooper makes a joke about it. And Quint says, no, no, uh, it was a tattoo I had removed. It was a tattoo of the USS Indianapolis. And Hooper said, you were on the Indianapolis? And, and the moment gets real sober. See, uh, true story, the USS Indianapolis uh, in July of 1945 was dispatched on a secret mission to carry parts of uh, the uh, little boy, which was the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima. And after it delivered those parts and was heading back home, uh, a Japanese submarine found it, and it was struck by a torpedo, and in 12 minutes the ship went under. There were 1,100 men on that ship, and uh, those men went into the water. It was three and a half days until they were even... Um, sighted a little bit longer until they were rescued. There were inadequate life preservers and inadequate lifeboats. Um, and of the 1,100 men that went into the water, 
316 came out. And in this movie, um, Quint was one of those. And Hooper, who's this scientist who feels like he knows more than everybody and been kind of looking down on this old sea captain, all of a sudden looks at him with a completely different set of eyes because he realizes that Quint understands sharks in a way that he never will. He understands that uh, this man had a victory that Scar is a proof of that he can't comprehend, that he came out of, of hell. And Jesus' scars are the same proof um, with just two distinctions. Um, Jesus also has proof that He came out of hell, but Jesus went there willingly. And Jesus comes out not because He's rescued, but on His own power. Uh, but forever thereafter, He carries those marks, those scars that are proof of what He accomplished, what He did. We, we have this great line in Deuteronomy where we hear, as we hear many times in the Old Testament, that God redeemed them by His mighty hand and His outstretched arm. And it's true, uh, but at Easter, those arms are outstretched on a cross, and that mighty hand was pierced through by nails. And those wounds are proof of what Christ accomplished for us. Uh, the wounds, the scars of Jesus are part of, uh, are evidence of His victory. They're also a part of our victory. Uh, there's a pastor uh, named Charles Spurgeon who has an incredible sermon on the wounds of Jesus. And in that he says this, Even the captain of our salvation must be made perfect through suffering. Therefore, we who are guilty, who are far from being perfect, must not wonder that we have to be wounded too. Shall the, crown, shall the head be crowned with thorns? And do you imagine the other members of the body are to be rocked on the dainty lap of ease? Must Jesus Christ swim through seas of His own blood to win the crown? And are you and I to walk to heaven dry shod in silver slippers? No, the wounds of Christ are to teach us that suffering is necessary. Moreover, he says, to suffer for Christ is glory. O Christian, when you are overtaken by strange troubles, be not afraid. God is near you. It was Christ's honor to suffer for you and yours to suffer for Him. Spurgeon's point is not that suffering is the goal of the Christian life. He's simply saying it will come, um, but when it comes, somehow in those moments we get to participate in the life of Jesus, and our wounding may also produce scars that point to His victory. Our church has a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. It's a Christian 12-step program for anybody who has a need for recovery in their life. It could be for addiction, it could be for mental illness, it could be for grief, whatever um, you need recovery for, this is it. And um, we have really just two requirements for those folks that lead that ministry. Obviously, they have to be followers of Jesus, uh, and then they have to be um, in recovery themselves. I was talking to one of our leaders not too long ago, and um, we were talking about the reality that um, once you're wounded, those things stay with you far longer than most other people understand. 
told me a story. He said uh, a number of years ago after he got sober, actually five years after he got sober, he was camping with some friends. And they went camping, and I guess he drew the short straw one day, and so the other guys went off to do fun stuff, and he had to clean up the site. And uh, they left. He's picking up and just kind of randomly putting things away, and he reaches in and just picks up something and realizes after he's got it in his hand that it's a little bottle of whiskey. He said he hadn't literally touched alcohol in in five years, uh, and he had this bottle in his hand, and it all kind of came rushing back. And more than anything, at that moment, he just wanted to take a sip. But he knew he couldn't just take one sip. And so he said he just sat there with this bottle in his hand and fought this battle in his mind. And he said, Jim, I don't know how long I just stood there staring at that bottle. Eventually, eventually he put it down. But he said, you got to understand, those wounds don't just go away. And I said, yeah, I, I totally get it. But you got to understand that those wounds are proof that you're winning. Uh, those scars are, are the evidence of what God's accomplished in your life and how He's using you to bless others. See, we're all called to be wounded winners. The scars of Jesus um, don't just point to His victory, they also point to His identity. And this is really interesting. I, you noticed in both stories, when Jesus shows up after the resurrection, one of the first things He does is point out His wounds. And then, of course, Thomas says, I won't believe you unless I can see and touch the wounds. I've often thought about what I'll look like when I'm resurrected. Let's imagine for a moment that I live to be 85. Uh, When I come back on the last day, will I look like I'm 85? Will I look like I'm 42? Will I look like I'm 15? Will I look timeless because time no longer has a hold on me? Jesus, when He shows up after the resurrection, often the people take, even His friends take a few uh, seconds to figure out who He is, and I wonder if it's because He doesn't look 33 anymore. Maybe in the resurrection, we won't recognize each other by the color of our eyes or the length of our hair or uh, the wrinkles on our skin. Maybe we'll recognize each other by the scars um, that represent the wounds that we overcame in Christ. And maybe that's why the disciples recognized Jesus through His wounds, that even in heaven, even in John's vision and revelation, we're told that there is one like a lamb standing on the throne who looks like he's been slain, that even in heaven, Jesus carries the marks of His victory and His identity. Amanda introduced me to a a woman named Catherine Wolfe, who's a a devout Christian, speaks a lot in churches, and has an amazing personal story. And I want to share with you a little bit of Catherine's story in her own words. I had no medical history, no doctors monitoring anything. I was 
normal and perfectly healthy. In fact, I was actually extremely active. I had been an aerobics instructor um, and had a baby naturally six months before, and I had been doing some commercial print modeling. So I was at like Target ads and, you know, sweet little catalog work. And anyway, I technically was paying the bills. But yeah, that was obviously a vast change for me to have been paid for my appearance, basically, and then to have a paralyzed face and have that happen overnight. I'm a stroke survivor, and that's why I'm severely disabled, and my hand won't work, and my face is paralyzed, and I can't walk, and I can't drive, and I'm deaf in one ear, and my eyes don't track, and I have all these health problems. You'd think that's because I had a stroke. But actually, it's not. I am disabled because the wise and careful surgeon chose to sacrifice things in order for me to sustain life. So it's really, really, really powerful to think that in my deep wounding, my healing could come. I was kind of down deep for like five years, honestly, of my new normal. And I think that's awesome. I think we need to give each other permission to like not be okay for a while when terrible suffering happens. Once I had like relearned to eat and speak and walk and sort of could start to wake up to just a bigger picture here, I was able to kind of recognize a couple things. One, that my story of overcoming would become someone else's survival guide down the road. And that was very powerful to think that maybe a young mom who's in a wheelchair needs to know that there is life on the other side of this. There's this crazy freedom. No one's trying to worship at the idol of a pain-free life. Instead, people are like, there is pain in our stories. And we can still experience joy in those same stories. And we're here for that. That we are where we are today by what happened. What a powerful thought for us. Like, maybe all the bad stuff is being used in such a powerful way to um, inform how we live this life. You know, I fancy myself a joy rebel. I am rebelling um, with joy. And that is something we entirely have the ability to do, is no matter how hard our stories are, we get to be the joy rebel. Don't miss the life right in front of you, even if it's not the life that you ever imagined when you were a little girl. I love Catherine's story. Um, I would disagree with her at just one point. She says, no one's trying to worship at the idol of a pain-free life. And I'm not sure that's true. I think we are still told in our world that sometimes victory is being untouchable, is getting through unscathed, is coming out who you always were and never having to change. But that's not her story. It's not mine. It's not the story of Easter. The story um, that we share is that in our deep wounding comes our healing 
because in Christ's deep wounding came our salvation. And that we should hope to be what Jesus was and is, not unscathed heroes, but wounded winners. Jesus walks with us through our cross and empty tomb moments because He knows the path so well. And today, He invites us to be an Easter people, uh, to be wounded winners because that's the only kind. And together with our scarred Savior, uh, to walk and to live and to die and to rise again with Him. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.